Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, June the 3rd, 2022. It is currently 2.32 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Now, what we're going to try to do over the next hour, close to an hour, is we're going to look into the future in a way. And the way we're going to look into the future is we're going to go back to the past. Now, we're going to go back to the past about two, three months ago, and we're going to go to a specific church and review a specific sermon preached by a specific pastor, because the pastor who preached that sermon a couple of months ago is about to become the pastor of one of the most influential churches in the United States of America, meaning he's going to have even a larger platform and even a greater influence. Now, I can't speak for you, but I think the majority of us have never heard of this pastor, have no clue who he is. And if he's getting ready to become the pastor of one of the, of one of the most, if not the most influential church in America, then we, we need to go back and listen to how he preaches and how he handles the word of God, because that's going to tell us the direction of one of the most influential churches in America, where it's going in the future. So we're going to go back a couple of months, listen to a pastor, preach a sermon to give us some indication where this pastor is going to take the church he's about to become the pastor of into the future. And I hope this will be beneficial. Now, you may be like, so exactly what's going on? I, I still need some more information. Well, okay, good. I'm, I'm just, just listen carefully. On June the 2nd, 2022, at 6.05 p.m., and, and this is not even the, I think, I don't even think this was the first article. I can't even remember how many articles, I can't remember which article I read first, but somewhere around that time, we found out that Saddleback Pastor Rick Warren was going to, is going to retire at this coming September, and that he named his successor, and his successor is Andy Wood. So Rick Warren of Saddleback Church is going to retire in September, and his successor is a pastor by the name of Andy Wood. Now again, Rick Warren, one of the most influential pastors, Saddleback Church, one of, at, at certain points in time, ha has been the most influential church in America. So if Andy Wood is going to become the pastor, well, where is the, what's the direction the most, one of the most influential churches in America, where, where is it headed? What, what, what's it going to be like? What, how is it going to influence moving forward? Well, the only way to know that is to go back and listen to Andy Wood preach, and then we'll be able to get some information. Now, if you're not aware, um, in fact, let me find a little bit here. If you don't know, I got to find the article. Andy Wood is currently Echo's He's, he's, oh, let me go back through this, All right? Uh, the, so there was an email sent out to everyone from Saddleback Church, and it featured, it was a video featuring Warren and his wife, Kay, that's Rick Warren and his wife, Kay, along with Andy and Stacy Wood of Echo Church in San Jose, California. Andy Wood, 40, is currently Echo's lead pastor, while Stacy Wood, his wife, is a teaching pastor. They will have the same roles at Saddleback Church. 
So we'll try to find some sermons from Stacy Wood, since she's going to be now a teaching pastor at Saddleback. We're going to obviously, as we move forward, listen to some sermons from Andy Wood, since he's going to become the lead pastor of Saddleback. And again, the only reason we're doing this is because Saddleback constantly is listed as one of the most influential churches in America. So we want to keep an eye on where that church is headed because, well, is it going to maintain the same level of influence, grow in its level of influence, or is this the beginning of a major shift in Saddleback and it's not going to, it's going to lose all relevancy and no longer be in the top 50 or 100 most influential churches in America. Only time will tell, but the only way to know what what is waiting for us in the future is to go back a couple of months. We're going to visit Echo Church in San Jose, California, and we're going to listen to some preaching. Now, this is what I did. I, I First, when you go to the Echo Church's website, you can't find anything. Uh, you can't find, you're like, well, where, do, where, where do you uh, subscribe to the sermons? Where do you download the sermons? But we did find that on YouTube, they have a YouTube channel. You, you would think on their website that would be prominently advertised. It isn't, which is just interesting to me. I, I, I don't know why, but they don't do that. That, that. That's just a whole different podcast episode. But so I went back and I started looking. I'm like, okay, I could just grab the most recent sermon. What could I do? And I then I found they, they had, that. this is what they obviously do in their church, is, and, and this is just common, this is kind of a template that all of these big churches, these kind of mega churches use. It drives me crazy that everyone uses the same template, but they always have very short sermon series, three, four weeks, maybe five weeks. Um, you've got to always have a promotion video leading up to your sermon series that you start advertising. Hey, come back in a week or two. Uh, make sure you're here in a week or two because we're going to start a brand new sermon series. This is going to be absolutely amazing. It's going to change your life. It's going to be revolutionary. And you got to have that promo video to hype it up. And you can't allow these series to go too long because people will lose interest. So you really... It's it's just, oh, everything about it just drives me crazy. And it's not, obviously, none of these series are ever in-depth studies of scripture. Are they ever in-depth study of theology? It's just, oh, there's just so much about it I can't stand. But obviously, the majority of people love it because, well, that's why you have these gigantic churches. So I was looking and I'm like, oh, they started a new series. And the new series was called, and this one started a couple of uh, months ago. I can't remember, two or three months ago. And it's called Squad Goals. Squad Goals. And their little promo video, I would play it for you, but it's just visual. There's no nothing speaking. But it's, it's this really upbeat music. And then it shows basically everyone giving each other like a high five, right? Like here's our squad. And so the... I guess Echo Church is the squad, and here's the goals for them, or it's just supposed to represent you and all of your friends and your squad goals. Now, maybe you're not familiar with the term squad goals. It's a frequent hashtag on social media. But if you want the dictionary definition of squad of squad goal or squad goals, used in reference to a person thing, or let me read this again, used in reference to a person or thing seen as a model to aspire to or emulate, especially with one's friends. All right. So this is the idea that, uh, that it's a reference to a person, 
or, 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 or thing seen as a model to aspire to. So you see this person, you see this thing, you're like, oh, squad goals. That's the goals I have for, for my friends, for my group. That, that's what we want to be. That's our squad goals, all right? And again, it references usually your friends, and it's often a hashtag in social media. So it's a, it's a you know, it's one of the trying to be current, trying to be relevant, uh, but a sermon series called Squad Goals. Okay, I, I, I'm already, can I say it? I'm a little suspect here, right? Hey, we're going to do a sermon series called Squad Goals. Yeah, that sounds like that's going to be some in-depth theology, <laughs> some in-depth Bible study and some in-depth church history. Okay, clearly, I don't think that's the, the place he's going, which is probably going to give us an idea where uh, Saddleback Church is headed into the future. But let's, let's we're going to listen. And now, I could just take clips out of context and say, ladies and gentlemen, that's the future of Saddleback Church. Now, maybe he's going to change his approach. Maybe he will change his style. I don't know. But, well, here's Andy Wood with the first sermon in their series, Squad Goals, preached at Echo Church in San Jose, California, just a couple of months ago. They're in a new series now. I think it's called Flawless. I think it's called Flawless. Someone in the Discord channel um, posted a, a link to it. And and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll review some of that. We're not going to spend like weeks and weeks and weeks doing this. But I just think that since Saddleback is such an influential church, that I want to know where it's going, where it's headed. And I'm, I'm going to be curious. Are they going to maintain their radio program, maintain the Saddleback you know, podcast and all of those things? Is Andy Wood going to become more of a household name? Is he going to put out a book? Like what, what's, what's coming in the future? Uh, and is he going to play a major role in the direction, the future direction of evangelicalism? I don't know. Is he going to become like Rick Warren became like this household name, this kind of known even within popular culture. And of course, his books, Purpose Driven Church, Purpose Driven Life, sold a bazillion copies. I don't have the numbers in front of me, so I just have to use hyperbole there. A lot of copies. I don't know if Andy Wood is going to, uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's all going to play out, but I just thought it would be interested. I mean, everyone's reporting the story. Andy Wood's going to be the new pastor of Saddleback Church. And my thing is, okay, great. Well, let's find out what kind of pastor he's been, how he preaches, and we'll get an idea of where Saddleback is headed. So are you ready? I hope so. Here we go. I'm not going to give us... Now, just remember, for those who are new to our review process, I don't listen to the sermons in advance because that would feel like that this becomes a, a performance. We're going to listen to it in real time together. Sometimes this turns out to be like, wow, that was awesome. Sometimes this turns out to be, that was an epic train wreck, because sometimes I'm just left going, what do I say? I mean, sometimes I don't even know what to say. <laughs> so I, I don't know what to expect here, but I'll be interrupting and offering my own review and critique and analysis. If you're listening live, you're free to jump in and add your thoughts and perspective, or you can email me whatever you think, newsif at yahoo.com. I'll also try to check the Discord uh, channel as well to see if anyone's posting any comment, comments there. All right, here we go. I, I got Bibles. I got notebooks. I got lots of water, lots of water. I've got my iPad. So 
I don't know what to expect. I've never heard an Andy Wood sermon ever. I, I didn't even know this person existed prior to the news article that he's taking over one of the most influential churches in America. So let's see possibly why he was chosen. Here we go. I have a confession for you on the front end of this series. I love goals. I'm wondering if anybody else loves goals. Just out of curiosity, raise your hand at all of our campuses or type it online. There are like a few of you like me, a little bit weird, a little bit crazy. Um, I remember at 15 years old, I was writing goals down. I was a wrestler and I wrote them on a note card and I put them inside my wrestling bag and I carried that bag everywhere I went. I'd look at those goals and I know it's a little bit weird. I have all kinds of goals, smart goals, that stands for specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound. There are BHAG goals, big, hairy, audacious goals. There are SBAG goals, stretching but achievable goals. I have all kinds of goals for you. And every year at the beginning of the year, I like to actually take time to set some goals. I like to go away, write them down, pray. And I've done this for years now. And one of the things that I've noticed personally um, and in the lives of a lot of other people, it's a lot easier to set fitness goals, like I want to lose weight or I want to work out this number of times or financial goals, career goals. It's a lot harder to set relationship goals because in a relationship, not everybody that you're in a relationship does exactly what you want them to do. Have you learned that before? That it's, it's hard to set goals in relationships and sometimes it's actually even more difficult to quantify progress that we make in our relationships. Yet our relationships are the most important part of our lives. And if our relationships are not right, nothing in our lives are right. And so we're going to take a few weeks to set some goals and look at how do we have goals that are meaningful and help us make progress in our relationships. Now, I want to suggest to you on the front end of this series that you have some relationship goals. Like whether or not you believe that you have goals in your relationships, you have goals in your relationships. And those goals are oftentimes discerned by your unmet expectations. Now, let me say it like this. Perhaps when you got married, you had an expectation of a time that you would eat dinner every night. Maybe you grew up in a home where maybe your mom cooked a meal or maybe your dad was the chef, but you had dinner at the same time. You had dinner at 6 p.m. every night. Or perhaps you grew up in another family and you're like one of those families, you eat dinner at like 9 or 10 o'clock. This is like all of my Latin American friends. Like you eat dinner 9 o'clock at night and like it's, it's at the end of the day and I hear the laughter. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you grew up in that family and then you got married and like you kind of are trying to figure this whole thing out and your spouse, you expect him to be home by a certain time because this is the time that you ate dinner in your family. But in his family, they ate dinner at this time and then you got married and you experienced some frustration. Anybody have something like that happen before? <laughs> okay. All right. So we're going to have a sermon series. Clearly about relationship goals. And uh, you have goals, whether, <laughs> whether you know them or not, like your goal could be we're going to have, have dinner, supper, I guess, depending on where you come from, uh, at 6 p.m. And the other person may think the goal is 9 p.m. And then you realize that you have conflict here. So then you have to have a goal, I guess, to resolve the conflict. So is this about setting goals or this is about conflict resolution? I'm not quite sure yet. Um, I'm very interested. I know, actually, I'll take that back. I'm very nervous 
extremely nervous in how the scriptures are going to be used in this uh, so-called sermon. It wasn't open up your Bibles. It was like, I love goals and I set goals and and we're going to talk about relationship goals and okay, but but scripture is coming. I know. I'm just curious in how it's going to be utilized. Here we go. Again, we're, we're listening to Andy Moore, the future pastor of one of the most influential churches in America. This, this is, let's just see how he handles the word of God. Here we go. Maybe it wasn't marriage for you. Maybe it was a friendship. Let's think about this for students. Let's say for you students, like you get in friendships with somebody and you're like, okay, once a week is enough to hang out with this person. But in their mind, like every day is enough to hang out and they want to be with you all the time. And they're frustrated because you're not hanging out with them and they're defining success differently than you're defining success. See, in our relationships, our expectations reveal what our relationship goals are. So you have a set of expectations that are defining success in your relationships. Sometimes those expectations are realistic and they're good expectations. And then other times those relationship expectations are very unrealistic and they're not even stated in the relationships. And what I believe is so clear. So relationship goals are basically your expectations for that relationship. So whatever your expectation is in the relationship that is your relationship goals. And sometimes you have a goal that the other person in a relationship doesn't have. So again, is this about relationship goals or is this about somehow working that out, somehow reconciling that, right? Somehow finding a way to reconcile that difference. So is it really about setting the goal or how to reconcile the fact that you have one goal in a relationship and someone else has a different goal? Or is this about modifying your expectations or how to compromise? Is this about, I don't know what this is about because in some ways I can like, it's about relationship goals or is it about, but he keeps demonstrating that you can have one uh, goal in a relationship. Another person in the same relationship can have a different goal Well, you both can't just set goals. So is this about setting of goals or reconciling when your goal is different than the other person? I I don't know yet, but that's okay. He's only three minutes into it. This is his introduction. Let's see where he's going to take it. When I look back on the trajectory of my life and relationships that I've had and thousands of people that I've met throughout the course of the years, bad relationship goals lead to bad relationships. So if you have a set of goals in any relationship that are unrealistic and they're not helpful, it's going to lead to bad relationships. This oftentimes comes from our culture, that many of the lies that we believe in relationships make us frustrated. Some of these, maybe you even believe them implicitly. Nobody's said them to you, but you just kind of believe like a relationship should make you happy all the time. Like this person should make every desire I have come true. And then you get in a relationship with somebody and it doesn't happen that way. Or perhaps maybe you have this expectation that there's not going to be fighting in a relationship and you're going along for a period of time and there's no fighting. And then all of a sudden you start fighting with that person and you're like, well, I thought relationships were supposed to be easy and there's not supposed to be fighting. Now, if we have bad relationship goals that come from lies that we believe we're going to be frustrated in our relationships. So the whole series, this is the big arching, overarching idea. It's this better relationship goals 
lead to better relationships. All right. So the whole goal of the series is to have better relationship goals so you can have better relationships. But he's already indicated that if I have a goal different than the other person has, well, then we have to reconcile those goals. So is the is the purpose of this series to say we've got to set better relationship goals? Wouldn't the, the primary focus would be how to come to an agreement on relationship goals? Because, again, you can set all the relationship goals you want. And another person in the same relationship can set their goals. If the goals are not in line with one another, then you don't accomplish anything. So I'm, I'm still a little confused. Is this about better goals, better relationships, but shouldn't it be uh, agreed upon goals gives us agreed upon results? I, I don't know. We'll see. I'm just a little, I, I, I've studied the Bible a lot in my life. I don't know if I've ever come across that section that about uh, relationship goals. I don't know if I've ever come across that section. Maybe I missed it. I've got my Bible open right now. I'm, you know, I just, <laughs> I'm man, I've done a lot of preaching in the Bible and I just don't know. I'm like, that. there's the chapter where I'm going to preach on relationship goals and that this is the chapter that gives me the principle that better relationship goals it ends up with better relationships. I, 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 I have a feeling that he's got the, this is one of those things where you feel like in a sermon, someone has the idea, they have the topic, and then they're just going to go find scripture that somehow supposedly relates to the topic. We'll see if this requires, I don't know, ripping verses completely out of context. But so here's the the overarching theme of this series is better relationship goals, better relationships. However, if you're in a relationship and you have one set of goals and they have a different set of goals, it's not going to matter. So I again, I still don't know if this should be setting goals or reconciling our goals. I, I, I don't I don't know. Or, comp, or compromise? I don't know. But let's see where they go here. And I believe we can very clearly see when we look at the Bible, especially when we look at the New Testament, there are hundreds of statements, they're called the one another's, that God gives to us for our relationships. God has some very specific goals for our relationships. Oh, wow. Hundreds. The Bible gives us hundreds of goals for our relationships. One another scriptures. Hmm. Okay. I'm a little bit intrigued. I'm a little, I don't know if the Bible gives goals. I think the Bible gives commands, but that, <laughs> I don't know if like, Hey, that verse gives me a goal. I think that verse gives me a command, right? I think we get law and gospel. I, I've never, I don't know this uh, theological category, this biblical category of goals that, that this is a goal. This, this passage right there gives you a goal, but one another passages. So there's hundred of one another passages and the one another passages really, according to him, gives us goals for our relationships. So scripture is going to be used here. I'm just, I'm nervous about how it's going to be used, but here we go. And when we live into them, we experience joy. We experience peace. We experience fulfillment in our relationships and our relationships grow over the course of time. So throughout the series, all right, so it's the it's the typical way Christianity sells itself. Okay, here's the Bible. It's going to give us goals. Now, if you if you follow these goals, 
You're going to have peace, joy, and fulfillment. Your relationship is going to be great. So the, the idea is the Bible gives you the goal, you obey the goal, and you get all of these wonderful things. All right. So this is going to be, I, I'm already seeing if I'm going to put this in theological categories, this is going to be law-based. The Bible gives you, now they're not, they don't want to use the word law. They're going to use the word goals, but the Bible gives you laws for your relationship. If you follow those laws, well, then everything's going to be wonderful. The only problem is we don't fulfill God's law. We, we fall short of it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And even if you change the word law to goals, we're still never going to fulfill the goals because we're sinners. So, all right, we'll just see. We'll just see how this works. We're going to look at three of God's big goals for our relationships. The first one is this, that we would grow together. God wants us to grow in our relationships. The second one is that we would know together. And God wants us to experience what it means to know him personally through our relationships. And the third one is that we would go together. Y'all like that? It rhymes, if you didn't notice. I just want to point that out. This is what I do all week. I just make up rhymes for you. So we want to grow together. We want to know together. And we want to go together. And over the next three weeks. So grow together, know together, go together. Grow, know, go. That's the relationships. This is, this is evangelicalism in 2022, all right? So you go to church and you learn that God has three goals for you to grow together, know together, and go together. And supposedly this is going to come from the Bible, right? And, and sometimes you have to ask yourself, um, what is the long-term consequences of this kind of preaching, especially when over and over and over we find out that Christians do not have a biblical worldview, they don't understand things like the Trinity, the deity of Christ, hypostatic union, they don't know church history, they don't know theology, and you have to just come to sometimes going, well, if you're going to church on Sunday to get this, I don't know, but may maybe this is going to be life-altering. We're about to learn about goals, uh, goal, relationship goals in a way that we've never even considered. Well, let, let's see where we're here. I'm just, okay, I don't know. I, I'm, just, I'm just curious how, how Scripture is going to come into play here. Weeks, we're going to look at each of these. Now, today, I want to start with this idea that God has designed relationships for growth. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, it'll be on the screens. And we're going to look at a few words that come from the Apostle Paul. Now, it's important whenever we read the Bible to understand the context of what we're reading. Ephesians chapter 4 is written as a letter to a group of people who lived in Ephesus. And the Apostle Paul writes this letter to encourage the church. It's good to know that this letter was written in such a way that it could be read in many churches across uh, the, the, the modern area where Paul had started churches. So he wrote this letter to encourage a group of early followers of Jesus. They took this letter, they wrote it down, and then they distributed it, and they would read it in their churches. So when we read the Bible, we can read it just like they would read it, knowing that it applies to our life the same way in the first century it applies, it applies to our lives today in the 21st century. Okay, well, all right. Now, it is common in a lot of these big churches. They will stop and give a little bit of background to the book, a little bit of context. 
and 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 in some ways it bothers me. Like in some ways I want to say, yeah, that's good, but in some ways it bothers me because to me it's almost like a a disarming technique. Hey, see, we worry about context. See, we care care about context. See, I told everyone this was written to the believers at Ephesus. See, I told you this was read in the churches. See, so I gave that context. See, we don't rip things out of context. So it kind of disarms and, and everyone takes down their guard. But then immediately he was like, okay, so it's written to the Ephesus. But immediately he was like, but it applies to us. Well, wait, is it, does every single word apply to us? Is there, I mean, you've got to always take a lot of things into consideration. But okay, at least he's he's doing this. It's just sometimes I feel like they they say that and then five minutes later, 10 minutes later, we're like, what is happening? What, what's happening to the scriptures? But maybe, maybe that's not going to occur here. Maybe this is going to be a, a clear exposition of, well, Ephesians 4. And Ephesians 4 is going to tell us that one of God's goals for our relationship is that we grow together. All right, let, let's see how this all plays out. Now, Paul takes the first half of the book of Ephesians, and he outlines some very powerful, important theological principles. He talks about salvation. He talks about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And he, he gives this overarching belief system. And then in the second half of the book, he gets very practical with relationships. And so he talks about how, do, how does all of this apply to the way that we relate to one another? And we're going to look at this few verses that talk about what does it mean to do relationships in a way that please God and lead to fulfillment in our relationships. Ephesians chapter four, I want to start in verse 11. Paul says this. He says, now these are the gifts that Christ Jesus gave to the church. These are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. So he outlines this five-fold ministry that there are people who serve in the church. They have roles. They have positions. Let me go back through it. It's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And still to this day, God gives different people different spiritual gifts. And I would say that in many ways, these are the leadership roles inside the local church. You need all of them. You need people who are apostles. These are the people that are entrepreneurial. They start things. They start churches. You need people who are prophets. These are the people that preach boldly and call us to repentance. Oftentimes, they're very black and white. They say things in a way that sometimes startle us, but we need them. There are people who are evangelists. These are people who are passionate about reaching those who have never heard about Jesus, and we need people like that. There are pastors. These are the shepherds, and they come alongside and help us grow. And then there are people who teach. They break down the Bible. All of these are very important. If you don't have any, any one of these five, the church is not as strong as God intends for it to be. So is he saying the apostolic office is still operational today? Does he believe in apostolic succession? I, I, I don't, I'd like, I need some clarification here. Hey, all five have to be present today. So you're saying there are apostles today. If there are apostles today, do they have apostolic authority? And if they have apostolic authority, like, I, there's a lot of questions I have here. A lot of questions I have here. We're not going to get a clarification. Because in these kinds of churches, it's not about... Hey, it's like they'll just, there's, the, they don't care about breaking it down. Like it, and, and what I think would be the right kind of church, that word apostles. All right. 
For the next six weeks, everyone, we're going to study what an apostle is, what it isn't, what it was, what it wasn't, and how that office applies today, or if it doesn't. That's what I would do. Now, many would go to a church like that, like, this feels like a seminary. I don't like this. Or you can go to a church like this where you don't know anything because you're not going. He just says all five of these have to be present. That raises serious questions about the role of an apostle. Because how much, I mean, apostolic authority is a big deal. I mean, the entire Roman Catholic system is built off uh, apostolic succession, right? And therefore, they have a magisterial and an apostolic authority, right? So, like, how does that work? So, I I, I don't know, because we're not going to get a clarification. But somehow, in Ephesians 4, he's going to take this about you having squad goals, (laughs) about you having goals in your relationships. I am. I, I I think you could argue. I don't know if this is about squad goals. I don't know if this is about goals in my relationship. I think this is establishing the purpose of the church and what the church is supposed to be doing. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Here we go. Uh, oh, okay. Someone said, no, he isn't saying that likely. This is a common belief, but not meaning capital A. It's more like apostolic personality, a leader, blah, blah. Okay, that's, but still, even if that's what he means, I think there should be an extensive amount of time dedicated to clarifying that because apostolic succession has been a big issue in church history. I mean, a massive issue in church history. I, I mean, it, it's, it's just a very important concept in how we understand that uh, because it, it has lots of, ramifications, right? If you have apostolic succession, then you almost create a magisterial authority where they have the right to interpret the Bible, and, and it raises lots of questions. So, okay, that, that the way he described that, that makes sense. So thank you for the person who just said that in the uh, chat, that it's like an apostolic personality, because he said it's, you know, someone who starts churches, right? He's kind of the entrepreneur kind of spirit. So he, he did kind of describe it more as a personality type, than he did at an office. Uh, but man, that's, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know that uh, apostles was a personality type. That's, that's, okay. I'm telling you, this kind of preaching in the evangelical world, I'm sometimes just like, what is going on? What is going But okay, maybe, I don't want to be too critical. I don't want to be too critical. But I, I'm just, man, Ephesians 4. I, I don't think I would have ever preached once in my life, Ephesians 4. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. Now, I have seen these, uh, The well, I've seen the spiritual gift test. Uh, oh, man, those things drive me nuts. Okay, uh, because someone has just said in the chat, they have like a test so that you can figure out like which one you, you, are, you are. I remember my Baptist church, oh, doing this in Nebraska, and I almost, I almost, I almost quit going to church. I'm telling you, I was so frustrated with it. Give me one second. I'm going to open up the Spreaker app to make sure I don't miss any comments here. Um, But I do have to tell this story because um, 
when the especially in, in the nineties, uh, there it was a big deal. It was a big deal about fi- everyone finding your spiritual gift, your spiritual gift, your spiritual gift. So they had these like I don't know what books they were based off, but basically it's these tests and. You take these tests, and this determines your spiritual gift. And there was people always walking around the church. I am the I have the gift of an encourager. I'm like, you've never encouraged anyone. Get out of my face, right? Or whatever. But everyone walk around claiming this is my gift. But it felt so much like now this is maybe from my background. So this is not probably fair to to say this, but this is just what it felt like to me. Sometimes your 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 background can greatly scar you uh, for from some things. But in my background. I was very much into astrology, right? Uh, Linda Goodman's book, Sun Signs. I can't remember all the books she, she had written. And basically it would be like, okay, you're a Pisces. This is what a Pisces child is like. This is what a Pisces teenager is like. This is what a Pisces uh, employee is like. This is what a Pisces employer is like. And I found it fascinating because in many cases you could read it like, man, this, this really describes describes me. And I was always like, so you would read it and go, okay, yeah, so that, that yeah, that really describes me as, as a Pisces, or this really describes me, whatever, you know, astrological sign that you are. And it felt a little bit like that, like, oh, I'm looking for all of these characteristics. I'm like, that's me, that's me, that's me. See, I'm a Pisces, or no, I'm whatever spiritual gift that I'm supposed to have. And it just felt very very much just like a Christianized version of astrology. I know people like, how dare you say that? But that's what it felt like. And everyone walking around taking their little spiritual gifts test, claiming that they have this gift. And sometimes I'm like, why do you think you have that gift? Like what? I go to church with you. That What are you talking about? It just felt, and then people would like, they would find their, and this is, and to me, this was actually, I think unbiblical, it almost led that people's identity became their spiritual gift. And to me, that was the problem in the church of Corinth is that everyone identified themselves with their spiritual gift and they wanted to exercise their spiritual gift in order to to exalt themselves instead of building up the body. And when I think our, our, our identity should never be found in my gift, my identity should be found in Christ. But that's a whole different subject. But that makes sense. He's describing this five-fold ministry as five different personality types. I hope so. But that five-fold ministry terminology definitely is used in some branches of the charismatic world because I worked with a guy. I'll never forget military exercise. It's two in the morning. And uh, he finds out that I'm a pastor. And he's like, so do you believe in the five-fold ministry? And I'm like, uh, go ahead. And then he rattled off the five-fold ministry and then uh, he, and he told me that he was an apostle, and I'm like, whatever, okay, yeah, whatever, yeah, you're an apostle, okay. And then he told a woman that she was going to be healed because God told him she was going to be healed, and she died six months later. So, yeah, so much for you being an apostle and hearing from God, but that's a whole different story. So it's just, uh, it, 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 it's, it, it's interesting he mentioned it, but I, I think the person— uh, in the chat is stating it correctly and probably that he just means it as personality types, that the church needs all of these personality types. All right, let's continue. Paul then double clicks and he says, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. 
So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've made a decision to put your trust in him, you are a part of a big collective community of people who are following him. It's called the church. It's also known as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And we're connected to each other in relationship with one another. Now, Paul is very clear. The role of people who are pastors, they're prophets, they're apostles, they're teachers, they're evangelists. They have a specific role and their role is to build up the body. And this means, so when you come to church on a Sunday, my job is to build you up. My job is to strengthen you, to encourage It's just interesting why he goes to the build up part, not the equip part. Ephesians 4.12, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Is your job to build up the body or is your job to equip the saints for the work of ministry? And and, And that leads to the building up of the body. He's going to the building up. He's he's skipping the equipping. Because, I mean, either you have to say the equipping is part one of your job, building up is part two, or is the equipping of the saints is what builds up the body. Is the body built up through the equipping? Like, I mean, again, he's not going to get into the the weeds here. He's not going to get into the actual, you know, trying to understand the text text and asking it questions, which is just, it drives me crazy. But let's see where he goes here. It's you so that when you leave one of our campuses or you turn the computer screen off or you shut your phone down, when you leave, you're empowered and equipped Monday through Saturday to live for God. That's what we're trying to do here. Okay. So he mentioned the equipping there. So when you're done listening to one of his sermons, you are to be empowered and equipped to live for the next seven days, all right? You are to be equipped, all right? Now, I think maybe we would have very different understandings of equipping, (laughs) all right? I don't know if we would come to an agreement and equipping, but this is important because what his idea of equipping is, I'm assuming is going to become the idea of what equipping is at Saddleback Church. And, uh, well, then his influence of what equipping is, it will spread. All right, here we go. And my hope is every time you walk through our doors or watch a message, you're inspired to live for God, you're challenged to live for God, and you're equipped to live for God, that you know what to do with what you hear every week. Now, if you have proper expectation, uh, you're much more likely to be happy with your pastor or with your church. If you have improper expectation, you're going to be frustrated. And maybe you grew up in a church where like your pastor, he met all day, every day with every single person. If that's your expectation, like marriage, you you bring that into church, you're going to be frustrated. But if we look and we say, okay, Paul gave us these roles to inspire us, to encourage us, and to challenge us, you'll be encouraged. If you don't expect your pastor to challenge you, you'll be frustrated when he challenges you. Just saying on the front end, in case I challenge you today. He then continues his thought. He says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, Okay, now, before we go on, a couple of things is happening here. Number one, it is an interesting principle that we could discuss that your expectation in a church will greatly determine your happiness with it, right? If you have, if you have expectation A 
and your church doesn't meet that expectation, you're going to obviously be dissatisfied. But if you have a different expectation, now the question is, what should be the expectation? What's an appropriate expectation for a church? He brings up a great point here, right? Because a lot of people have a certain expectation, and the church doesn't meet that expectation, and then they go and find a church that will meet their expectation. But is the church supposed to be there to meet your expectations? Whose expectations should the church be focused on? Yours or God's, as as stated in Scripture? I mean, there, there's a big discussion to have there. Now, uh, someone in the chat just said, checking my new Apostolic Reformation book, the difference is capital A is like the office of apostle. Lowercase a is more referring to function. Many charismatic churches believe the function exists, not the office. Interesting. That's that's uh, that 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 we, that that could lead to an into we may we may have to dig into that a little bit uh, for further study. We can't do that now because we're trying to review this, but so. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely have to come back to that at some point. I'm going to have to, um, yeah, I may have to look into that a little bit and see if we can take that apart and uh, see. Look, I'm always willing to be challenged, so we, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. But he brings up a good point here. So I would, I, I think we can at least do this. When it comes to the church and expectations, it is 100% true that your expectations will determine a lot your satisfaction with church. That is true. The question is, what are the right expectations and what are the wrong expectations? And should the church be worried about the expectations of the people sitting in the pew? So, so we, we, we could turn this into a study right here in and of itself, but let's see where he goes with this. Right here we go. Notice two things he says here. First of all, God has a goal with the church, with followers of Jesus, that they would be unified. And this is very different than uniformity. God, God gives us a goal that we would be connected and we would be unified in mission, that we would be unified in relationship, but we don't have to be uniform to make that happen. We have different cultures, we have different backgrounds, we have different generations, and that's all a part of God's plan because we strengthen each other when we're different than one another, but at the same time as we're diverse, we're unified. Notice when Jesus was praying in the garden of Gethsemane in John chapter 17, right before he was crucified, the last prayer that Jesus had for his church, it was that we would be one, that we would be unified with each other. And Paul is reiterating what was on the heart of Jesus. God wants us to be unified. This is one of my prayers for every one of our campuses. I pray regularly that God would unify us. And we have to recognize that there is an enemy, his name is Satan, and his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy followers of Jesus. His goal is to divide, to divide us from within. So everything that he's trying to do, it's not fair. He, he's playing underneath the belt. He's trying to destroy you. He's trying to destroy your family, and he's trying to destroy the church. And the primary method that he uses is division. So Paul says, we want to be unified, not divided. Secondly, okay, so God wants us to be unified. Not uniformity, unified. Are you saying unified and one, like your church, echo church? Are you saying unified all across the body of Christ? Because if we are supposed to be unified all across the body of Christ, 
you're going to have to have a very low definition of unity to say that that has ever occurred. So how how do we, under, I mean, I, this just, to me, this is the kind of sermon that raises 900 theological questions that are not going to be answered. This is why, this is why I can't just, I can't handle so much of evangelical preaching because I'd be like, no, no, no. Okay, if you're going to mention this, we need to spend now six weeks figuring out what is unity because where is the unity? Churches don't agree on baptism, the Lord's Supper, salvation. We don't agree on anything. We can't agree on how to interpret any verse of the Bible. So how in the world, how in the world do we uh, understand this unity? Yes, we the, the equipping is supposed to has to continue until there's unity, but it, will there ever be unity? Ever? Ever? How do, how do we get around this? How do we understand this? How? I, he's not going to answer the, the question, obviously. All right, let's see what else he says. He says that we want to be mature. So he's saying that there is a sense in which the church over time should become increasingly mature. Now, when I look back over our church, we are 13 years old. Uh, this weekend, we are right at 13 years old. Now, we are a teenager as a, as a church. You can celebrate that. We're a teenager as a church. That means that we are going through puberty together. And over time, the church should become increasingly mature. That means that there are people who've come to faith in Jesus in our church 13 years ago, and there are people who are coming today. Maybe you're here and you're exploring faith. And we have people all in between that. There are people who have longtime followers of Jesus but collectively, there should be an increasing level of maturity in the church. That means that we're grounded, we're rooted, we understand who God is, what his will is, what his desires are. And y'all, if you've been here the last four weeks, you can sense that God is bringing about an increased level of maturity in this church. There have been some incredible things in our series that we did on prayer. There were people that were repenting and turning from sins that they've lived in for years. So what God is doing is he is taking the soil of our hearts and the soil of our church to prepare us to do something great. He's maturing us together. So Paul, Paul says, that's the goal, unity and maturity. Now, it's important to recognize if we don't have that expectation on our lives or on the church, we'll be frustrated. And so often what I've noticed in my relationships and even in the church, this can happen to us, that what we can do is we have the wrong frame that we bring into our relationships. Let me explain it like this. I got married to Stacey. It'll be 19 years in May. Y'all, when, when I met her pretty much all the time, Stacey made me happy. And then we got married and she didn't make me happy all the time. I was like, what's wrong? What happened? I got married to you because you made me happy all the time. And now here, it's, it, there's a lot of frustration in marriage, especially the first five years. And then we had kids. And I was like, certainly kids will make me happy. And after having kids, it's like, well, they make me happy some of the time, but not all the time. And then I got a dog. And I'm like, well, certainly a dog will make me happy some of the time, but not all the time. And what happens is that often we have a frame that we put around our relationships. It's the frame of happiness. So we look at the relationship and we're like, certainly the relationship should make me happy. 
And when the relationship doesn't make me happy anymore, it's disposable. I, ri- I want to get rid of it because it's not serving the goal that I have in mind. And maybe you have brought this expectation into your relationships and a significant portion of your frustration flows from the wrong frame that has been placed around the relationship, the frame of happiness. I read a book a couple years into marriage that really helped me. And there are two of them. One is called Sacred Parenting and one is called Sacred Marriage. And the idea of the book is the same in both of them. It's that God's primary goal, God's primary goal with marriage and with parenting is not happiness. God actually has a primary goal. This is secondary. This is great. This is a byproduct. It's good to be in a relationship where there is happiness. I mean, you don't want to be in a miserable relationship, especially when it comes to marriage. But at the same time, it's not the primary goal that God has for relationships. The primary goal that God has for relationships is growth. So God intends that my relationships would help me grow. Growth is the goal. Growth is the primary goal that God has when he pulls us together in relationships. It's that we would become better together. It's that we would strengthen each other, that we would encourage each other, that we would challenge one another. So when you have a happiness goal, it changes the way you see the relationship. And you might be frustrated when a person doesn't make you happy. I'll give you a prime example of this. Okay. I'm trying to let him talk a little bit there, not interrupt so much. I'm, I'm listening and, and, but I keep going back to the Ephesians passage going, okay, how is this, how does this work? Like, what, like I'm, I'm sitting there listening to everything he's saying and I'm thinking, why did we even go to Ephesians? Because it just seems like he went to Ephesians because we need to read a Bible verse, but he's already got his mind made up, right? We're going we're gonna to talk about relationships and the number and the primary goal of a relationship is to grow, that we grow together, that, that the reason we are brought together in relationship is that we grow. And, and I guess in Ephesians 4, that's the concept, but that the church is there, but the church is there to equip. And I guess he would get the idea of grow to build up the body. The church is there to, but it's, it, is it to, is it, is the purpose of the church so that we can grow together or is the purpose of the church there to equip and through that equipping we are built up? Is it the idea that we can't, we can't grow apart, we can only grow together? That the re that the is it is is he is he trying to make an argument that the reason the church exists it, it seems like he keeps this is about the church in Ephesians four I keep I'm sorry I keep hitting my Bible and knocking the microphone all over the place I bet you that doesn't sound very good I, I, I'm I'm trying to follow the logic here so because I have a I have a very cynical outlook on this so I've got to be very careful here so is the idea that, that Jesus, the, the idea, I guess, the, the, the divine plan, the sacred plan is, all right, you see all of these individuals, they will never grow spiritually apart. But if we bring them together, then they will grow together because that's the, the goal of a relationship. We'll bring them in a relationship as a church, as a body, and then they will grow. Now, clearly, this would remove the idea from the universal body or the invisible body and bring this to the visible body of the church. And we could get into a whole debate about that throughout church history. Is do we do we go with the invisible body idea where I, and I still don't ever really understand that one always kind of bothers me. We're all connected in an invisible body. Okay, well, what's the purpose of the invisible body? 
but the the I, the only reason I think some people love the idea of a vi- of invisible body. In other words, we're not we're, if you're saved and I'm saved, we're a part of the invisible body of Christ. Is because then we can try to argue that that's where we reach some kind of unity because we're never going to have unity in the visible body. So I, I don't know, but but clearly this is a reference to the visible body, right? God gave to the church the visible body pastors and teachers, and in that body, they are to be equipped for the work of ministry, right? So he he keeps, in some cases, he, he's going to the church, but he, he kind of then, in a sense, goes right back out of it, and he keeps talking about your relationships, your relationships, your relationships. So I've got to ask this very important question here. Again, this kind of preaching drives me nuts because I would just be sitting there writing question, 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 and it's never going to get answered. It's not going to get answered in the series. It's not going to get answered in the preaching because, well, these churches don't do that because, well, we don't have time. They always make the excuse, we don't have time to answer all those questions. Well, then where, 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 where is the questions going to be answered? Because you're supposed to be equipping, and all you're doing is leaving me with questions that have to be addressed from the pulpit. But here's what I would say. And I know this is going to be controversial. And this we've talked about this in other podcast episodes, but we've got to talk about it here. And I'm trying to I'm trying to think how to phrase this. All right. So I'm I'm sorry for the pause there. I know I'm I'm making you like, wait, wait, did something happen? No. Okay. I'm just trying to make you wait here. He's seemingly making the argument that we have to be in a relationship in order to grow spiritually. And my question is, do people actually grow better spiritually in the context of relationship in churches, or do they grow better individually? Where does spiritual growth really take place? In the context of relationships within a church, or does it typically you grow, in a sense, not within a relationship, just on your own? Because I found that in my Christian life, the church was more detrimental time and time again to my spiritual growth, not the thing that led to it. In fact, my spiritual growth happened in spite of the church, not because of it. Church and the issues and backstabbing and gossip and slander and church splits and fighting and politics and all of the nonsense that I had to encounter and all... was counterintuitive. It was counterproductive. It made me at times bitter and frustrated and angry. In fact, my spiritual growth typically happened sitting in my house with a Bible, a notebook, and listening to sermons. Now, you could say that I needed those sermons and those books, yes, which would be, quote-unquote, a part of the body of Christ, but not because of relationship. I didn't have a relationship with the people I was listening to. I didn't have a... No, I, I joined every school I could join, and I read, and that's where my true spiritual growth occurred. I'm not saying I never gained anything from sermons preached in churches, but typically all the drama just constantly made me just like, forget it. This is just garbage. This is just, oh, it's just, it's just never ending. So I, I wonder, I, 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 I mean, he's making a big claim that, hey, God understood that the goal of relationships is for you to grow. And the way you grow is by being in a relationship. And I would wonder, how, what, what, how do they develop relationships in megachurches? Then they, then they say, well, that's in small groups. So small groups is where growth occurs. I've known people who've gone 
to small groups for a good portion of their Christian life. And I don't, I mean, if that's spiritual growth, it's a, it's a joke. They don't know anything. They're clueless. They're biblically illiterate. In many cases, they're heretical. But hey, they were part of small groups. I've never understood, like, we can, you can't grow without a small group. I mean, that the megachurches love that nonsense. You've got to join a small group. You've got to join a small group. If you don't join a small group, your spiritual life is in danger. And I'm like, really? Really? Because I've known countless people who are like, small group, small group, small group, small group, small group. And then you have five-second conversation with them about doctrine or theology. You're like, well, never mind. Just never mind. Never mind. I don't. I don't know here. Well, let, let's see where he goes. I know we're already at an hour once again. Yeah, we're not. I don't know if we're going to be able to finish this, but let's see how far we can get. I like to use my wife as a, an example. So Stacy, a positive example. So Stacy, last night we were, um, we had a plan and in her mind, the plan was different than my plan. And it wasn't really, it, it just wasn't like stated or clear, but in her mind, we were, we were going to do takeout last night. And in my mind, we had some leftovers. We were going to eat leftovers. Not, not a big deal. doesn't really matter either way. But Stacy actually didn't communicate the plan until after we ended up eating the leftovers. And I could tell that she was disappointed, not in a bad way, but I could just, I know her after 19 years of marriage when she's disappointed. And then I said to her afterwards, I'm like, I could tell you're disappointed. I'm sorry we didn't do takeout. And she looks back at me and she very beautifully says, she says, it's really good for me have to, to have to die to myself sometimes. And um, it's okay. I, it was a great opportunity for me to grow. Notice in that instance, though, very small example. It's a powerful example, though, because in her mind, if happiness was the goal, she would look and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe Andy's not making me happy in this moment. But because growth was the goal, it changed the perspective on the relationship. Y'all see that? When growth is the goal relationships are a gift from God. Every relationship in your life can be a relationship that God uses to grow you. And there are some people in your life that they don't feel like a gift. They feel like a curse. But when growth is the goal, every relationship in your life can become a gift from God. So there are different types of relationships that God will put us in. God now, I guess you could make an argument all right, I'm, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to preach to my, I'm going to try to take his sermon and preach to myself in the context of church, because again, he went to Ephesians four, but he keeps going to relationships, 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 but I'm going to go to the relationship of a church. I guess you could argue that when you're in a church and it's problem and drama that, Hey, if growth is the goal, then every relationship is a gift. So all of those problems and difficulties in the church actually helped me grow spiritually. I, 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 I'm very hesitant to say that's the case. I, 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 I am not so convinced of said, uh, idea. I I don't know. Does my growth, I I guess it depends on what I mean. I'm just going to struggle. I know maybe that's the spiritual answer. The spiritual answer is, man, I was in that church. It was a total train wreck. Everything went wrong, but man, it helped me grow. I, I don't know. I know I'm. I know I'm not giving the right answer. I know I'm not giving the right. People are going to be like, "How dare you say that?" I just. I'm still not convinced. I, I. I'm. I'm sometimes not convinced that the church 
creates this atmosphere for growth that everyone says that it does. I know it's what we, I know it's what we put in the marketing. I know it's what we put in the brochure. I know it's how we sell it, right? You need to come together because that's where we grow. And I'm just like, I don't know. I, I want it to be true. But I've had such horror. I've, I can't. I, I've, I haven't even had near the bad experiences some people have had. Okay, but man, I've had some really just not good situations. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know, because in most cases in churches, I mean, I guess you develop some like, like, and many times a lot of the issues happening in the churches, you don't even really have a close relationship with those people in some cases. I do agree that every relationship has the potential to help you grow spiritually, right? Because, well, it, it, it forces you to die to self and forces you to forgive. And so I guess I guess you could argue that in some cases those problems in church are actually helpful, I guess. I, I don't know. All right, let's, let's see where else he... I'm still just confused how all of this relates to Ephesians 4. I'm doing my best to try to keep putting it back into the context of Ephesians 4. God will put us in some relationships where people will make a deposit into our lives. So there are three types of relationships that God will use to help us grow. One is the, the people who make deposits into our lives. And some of these deposits are made from a distance. What I mean by this is when I look back over the course of my life, there are some people I've never met who've helped me grow. There are some people that actually have never been alive at the same time as me, but they've helped me grow. And they've written books or I've heard about their story and their life was a deposit into my life. And then there are other people that I've heard teach or maybe they are alive and I've read their book and they helped me grow through a deposit. And then there are other people that are making direct deposits. It's like when you have a you know, direct deposit into your bank account from work, that that direct deposit is constantly helping you grow. It could be somebody that is mentoring you. It's somebody that you're in an accountability relationship with. It could be in a group here at Echo where there is a leader who's investing in you over the course of time. Again, this is why every week we're, we're iterating over and over and over again, the significance and importance of groups, because we need people in our lives who are directly depositing into us to help us grow. I'm telling you, uh, large churches cannot go a week without saying, we're encouraging you to be a part of a small group. We're encouraging you to be a part of a small, or an echo group or whatever cool little name they want to give it. I, I'm just, I'm all, I'm just, it's just never ending. It's just small, small groups is like, I just don't get it. I, I, I know, I know I will never understand the whole small group concept. I will never be, I, I, I look, I've heard every argument in the world to try to convince me. And all I've ever done is sit back and watch people who participate in small groups. And the few times I did, and I'm like, this is a train wreck of epic proportion. What in the world is going on? Or just hearing all of the arguing and fighting or finding out that the leadership of the church had to get, had to get control of the small groups because they were basically breaking away from the church or causing problems or causing division. So then they had to come in and say, nope, you can't teach what you want in small group. You got to teach what we tell you. So we're going to give you a little worksheet that basically goes over what was preached on Sunday. And it's like, well, I thought this was the place for, for growth. It, I've, I've seen it all and heard it all. And it, I, I'm just not convinced, but so you need the small groups, but he's giving you the breakdown of different relationships. 
and how that they are essential for your growth. And he's using the relationship of people you don't know. But is that a relationship? Hey, I have a relationship with books I read from people I don't know. Can I call that a relationship? It's a book. I, I don't have a relationship with the person. I don't even know the person. I, I, I'm having a hard time with this. Uh, <laughs> no, we don't have middle of nowhere groups. We don't. Well, first of all, we're a small church, so we wouldn't even, it wouldn't even make any sense to have groups. Now we've had people in our church try to kind of argue for it. And I would be like, so how do you want this to work? Right? Like, and, and I, and I always end up, you know, people get bothered by me, but no, uh, at our church, we don't. But there's plenty uh, churches all around me do. They have their small groups, small groups, small groups, small groups. And uh, again, I worked with, uh, or actually, she worked for me when I was in charge of the appointment line at the hospital. Um, she was she was a part of a of a charismatic church here in Abilene, and they had small groups. And she all she ever did was complain about them and how bad they were, and it was a train wreck. And 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 it was just, and it made no sense to me. Uh, like I've talked about it before. So they would have small groups. I can't remember on which night. So they would have some people at the church. <clears throat> I apologize, losing my voice. Who would have like nursery or something for the kids. So people would drive to the church to drop off their kids. Then they would drive to wherever the small group was held. Then they would drive back to the church to pick up their kids. And I was, anytime I would hear this story, I'd be like, who came up with this idea? You're literally at your church building. It's gigantic. Why would you have small groups outside of the church when you just drove to the church building? If you're driving to the church building to drop off young people, just meet your small group in the church building for crying out loud. It makes no sense to me, but it's got to be in the home where it feels more comfortable and people can be more real, whatever the case may be. But yeah, whatever. She was a part of small groups. And whenever we talk doctrine or theology, I would just sit there going, what are you talking about? What are you? Please stop, please because clearly the small groups weren't doing anything. So yeah, I'm I'm antagonistic to it, but I just find it funny that here we go again. Small groups have got to be mentioned. It's like you listen to, how do you know you're listening to a sermon from a mega church? They're going to somewhere tell you, you need to be a part of our small groups. And always the small group is the key to everything. That's the key to your spiritual growth. That's a key to your deep theological understanding. It's the answer. I'm like, well, if the small groups are the answer, then why have the mega church? Just break everything into small groups, sell your building and be done with it. Right? But I, they, they no, never like my idea there. But Okay. We're going to have to stop. I, I'm, I'm still, I, I, what in the world? Like, what was it? What was Ephesians 4 for? Does anybody know what Ephesians 4, for? I guess because Ephesians 4 had the build up passage. I am going to do something really quick because I'm going to see how all the translations handled this. I'm going to go to Ephesians 4.12 really quick. I know we're at an hour. I know. I'm sorry. Okay. I got to get my iPad to flip over. Okay. Here we go. I'm going to go to Ephesians I just want to see how all the English translations handle this. Ephesians 4.12. All right, I'm going to go to BibleHub.com. Here we go. All right. All right, so uh, I'm going to read this from a number of translations. So uh, Ephesians 4.12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. 
So you're equipping people so that they do the work and that's how people are built up. Um, their, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Well, again, it seems like the people who are built or the people who are equipped, they're doing the work that builds up the church. Now, what work are they doing? To equip the uh, saints of the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ, to equip the saints for works of ministry and to build up the body of Christ, towards the perfecting of the saints for the work of ministry for the building up uh, of the body of Christ. Um, the Amplified, and he did this to fully equip and perfect the saints of God's people for works of service to build up the body of Christ, the church. So is the pastor's job to to equip and to build up, or is it to equip people and they then doing the work of ministry, they build up the body of Christ? And what does it mean to build up the body of Christ? Like, what does that exactly mean? I mean, he's not, he didn't exegete anything. He didn't even try, he, it's just like, here's Ephesians 4, and it says, build up. And uh, it, 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 and it talks about unity. Okay, so, so, okay, relationship goals. Now let's talk about relationships. It's really odd, but we'll back it up to the 25-minute mark and we will finish this. It has been an interesting, I, I, well, I'll put it this way. We know this, that Saddleback is not going to turn into some major, uh, it, even if it keeps its influence, the influence is not going to be of deep exegetical preaching. It's going to maintain the very shallow template-driven evangelical preaching that drives me absolutely nuts. The majority of people will probably be happy with it and love it. And maybe if he uses all of the media resources that's connected to Saddleback, maybe he becomes the next big Christian podcast pastor and a Christian radio pastor, and he becomes a dominant voice in evangelicalism moving forward. I don't know if that's going to occur, but... There you have it. I'm going to make sure nobody has anything else to say here um, in the comments. All right. Here we go. Someone just said, uh, why not just have some friends that enjoy talking about Jesus and theology with you? That's my vote. Just friends, people we naturally connect with, like actual friendships. <laughs> Yeah, I I agree. Like I I don't I don't understand. I don't I I just don't get it. I I I'm so and maybe that's why I'm I I look, I'll just be honest. I could never be the pastor of a large church. Never could. Never could. I would be fired in 2.3 seconds because I just I don't understand the culture. I don't understand the templates that's required. I just don't get it. I I don't I don't to me, you walk into church and I want someone to open that Bible and I want someone to dig in deep and I want it to be a place where I can ask questions and I can learn. That's where I come to church to learn. Then I go out and 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 that and that's all that matters. That's all. I'm not there for friendships and relationships and handshakes and kissing babies and I'm just there to study, learn and then go and then live out my Christian life. Now, if friendships and and relationships develop, wonderful, great, but it's it's secondary to me. But everyone but I I I, I don't know. He didn't. Re I don't know what he's trying to say. I, I don't think he's really trying to say anything about the church. It just seems what he's trying to say is that without relationships, we can't grow. 
I, I don't know, but we'll, we'll have to finish it next time because we're an hour and 14 minutes. Ugh, makes me so mad. Makes me so mad. But I knew this wasn't going to be a pleasant experience, but I'm just curious what the future of Saddleback is going to look like. And now we ha- are getting a little bit of a hint. Now we still have to listen to his wife preach and we'll try to do that. So we'll try to finish this tonight as soon as possible. And, uh, I may have to, to the person who uh, posted a little bit about their new Apostolic Reformation book and capital A and small a, we, uh, I may have to get some more information because uh, we may have to do some work on that. All right, we'll stop right there. Everyone have a great day. We'll be back. Um, who knows? I don't know how many more broadcasts I may do to today or tonight, but we'll see. All right, thanks for listening. Um, everyone have a great day. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. God bless.